0: أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله على سيدنا محمد وآله الطيبين الطاهرين اللهم يصلي على محمد وآله محمد We continue our examination of the biography of the Holy Prophet صلى الله عليه وآله As we mentioned before initially the first stage of revelation was low profile. The Prophet had not gone public with the religion of Islam. It was a period in which the early Muslims were being prepared for what was to come. So the, f- the first two, three years were basically, we shouldn't call it, you know, it was not a private movement or secret movement but it was very low profile, then the second stage as we examined was the hadith of Dar in which the Prophet sallallahu gathered his own family members and relatives from Bani Hashim and he specifically made an invitation to them, for them to join him and then the third stage was what? to go public, fully public with the mission to preach to everyone, including the elite of Quraysh. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals verses 94 and 95 of Surah Al-Hijr. That's when the third stage begins. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him, go out all public with this. فَاسْدَعْ bima O Messenger, you've been commanded with a message. Go public with it, announce it. Ignore the pagans. We shall protect you from those who mock you. So this was a very difficult stage because when you go public, you will face a lot of resistance. You just take your mission to a whole new level. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is comforting the Prophet. Don't worry, we'll take care of you. So when the Prophet went public with his mission, we see that Quraysh, the Arabs of Mecca, they intensified their campaign against the Prophet, before that they would mock him, attack him but because he had not fully gone public with it, you know it was low profile, maybe they'd say some things here and there but they really did not have a campaign, solid campaign against him but when the Prophet went public with his mission, then they intensified their campaign, they organized a campaign against the Prophet. That was year three? So this is around year three after Revelation, yes, that's when the Prophet sallallahu alaihi went public. They would mock him, they would ridicule him, they realized, you know what, this is serious, this man is not budging, he is not, you know, compromising, he really does have a mission. Initially they were not sure what is he up to, They were not sure that he really does have a religion and he wants to invite everyone in the world, they they were not aware of that. After Allah commands the Prophet to call public they're like, no this guy's serious, he's got a new religion and there are no signs that he's going to back out, he's continuing in his mission, he's persistent and he's gaining followers, that disturbed them. So they figured that the best way deal with the Prophet at that time, ruin his reputation, slander him, brainwash the people, use a very strong propaganda machine to discourage people from joining the Prophet sallallahu Alaihi you know they wanted to sway public opinion against him and honestly that ha- this had a big effect, it stopped many many people from joining Islam because when you, because people already when there is someone who has something new, you already face resistance, people are already skeptical, people don't like change, right? On top of that, when you ruin the Prophet's reputation, you attack him, you accuse him, that really discouraged a lot of people from joining the religion of Islam. It makes it much less likely for you to see the truth when you see the person who has that mission being slandered. So this really did have an impact and this disappointed the Prophet sallallahu he was really sad when all of this happened, so Allah comforts him. Allah says go public, invite everyone to Islam, even the leaders of Quraysh, the elite of Quraysh, invite them one and one, but don't worry, don't let anything stop you, even if they mock you, ignore them. This shows the akhlaq of Qur'an, those who attacked the Prophet, the Prophet would not kill them, go after them, no he would simply ignore them. In another verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet and we know that your chest becomes tight, that's an Arabic expression, because of what they say, so what should you do? Fight them? Kill them? Unfortunately we see some Muslims today, they take the path of violence, right? The Prophet never treated them violently. Worship Allah and prostrate. That's the only recipe, formula, direction that Allah gives to the Prophet when someone hurts you with their speech, Allah doesn't say go imprison them, kill them, destroy them and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises the Prophet victory, those who mock you just ignore them, we have protected you from those who mock you and no one will be able uh, to stop your mission. So, the Prophet, وآله, after God revealed this verse, he went public. How did this happen? We have two hadiths that capture how this happened. So, it is reported that he stood in Masjid al Haram by the Kaaba and he made the public announcement. What did he say? Ya Ma'shar Quraish, O people of Quraysh. Ya Ma'shar al Arab, O Arabs. Ad'uqum ila shahadati Allah ilaha illallah. I invite you to bear witness that there is no God but Allah. And I am the Messenger of Allah. I command you to stop worshipping these idols and ascribing partners to God. Respond to me, accept my invitation. Look, it's not only about the Akhirah. If you are scared that I'm going to take the power from you and you will become helpless people, no! If you follow me, you'll be masters, all other Arabs will look up to you, you will have uh, important positions in society, you will become leaders, so there isn't only a religious incentive here, no there's a worldly incentive, I promise you that I will not, I'm not here to seek power, you will be power, powerful, all other Arabs will look up to you and your power so you know he was just comforting them that I'm not here to take power from anyone and وَتَكُونُونَ مُلُوكًا fil الْجَنَّةِ and you'll be kings in paradise what more do you want? the best of both worlds, you want the world? join me, you want the Akhira? join me but what happened? see the Prophet was not leaving any room for excuse don't justify and say oh this Muhammad came and he wants to take the power from us, that's not the case, but the arrogant ones rejected, yes they knew collectively they would gain power, the Prophet would empower that society, but the elite of Mecca who exploited the weak, who oppressed other people, they didn't like this change that was about to come, because they knew that Muhammad yes he'll bring them, power collectively but he'll bring justice, they did not like justice so they rejected what he had to say, what was their response after the Prophet made this announcement in Masjid Al-Haram, what was their response? they said "Junna Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Muhammad the son of Abdullah has gone mad, he's become crazy, Now brothers and sisters, we've heard this repeatedly, that the Prophet was accused of being insane. But honestly, if you just think about it, if you just think about how painful this was for the Prophet. Remember at this time he's around 43 years old, he's not a kid, he's an old man, he's he's an adult. He is the greatest of God's creation. He is a man known for his honesty, for his truthfulness. When your own society slanders you and considers you crazy, that's very, very painful. It's the worst accusation. You know sometimes people can accuse you, oh, you know this person, they could come up with any accusation. You oppressed us, you're arrogant, you're this and that. It's not as bad. But when people accuse you that you've gone mad, it's very difficult, a person who honours and values his dignity, that is the worst accusation. So this was really really painful on the heart of your society, when you live in a society that respects you, for 40 years you've been respected, you have such an amazing reputation, then they come and accuse you of being insane. We we cannot imagine what happened to the hearts of the Holy Prophet just imagine! Just imagine you, a lot of us, we're not even leaders in society. We don't have a fraction of the reputation the Prophet had. <coughs> imagine if your society tomorrow comes out on social media accusing you of go- going mad. What will happen to you? alhamdulillah, his parents were alive. And it's good parents can get very, they can something very personal if somebody attacks their child. Absolutely. So it's good his parents were alive. But what about him? It's a very difficult test, just realize the difficulty the Prophet had to, go to, had to go through. So they accused him of this, another narration states the Prophet sallallahu was standing at the Mount of Safa, you know you do the sa'i between Safa and Marwah, just across from the Kaaba, then he asked them, O Quraysh, if I were to tell you, this is before he made the public announcement, if I were to tell you that behind this mountain, there is a caravan of horses approaching. Would you believe me? They said yes, we'd believe you because you're the truthful. We never caught you lying in your life. You have an impeccable reputation. There is no reason why we should doubt you. Then he told them, if that is the case, then believe in one God, Stop worshipping the idols, if you don't a big punishment will await you on the Day of Judgment. Now something very painful happened here, they're all silent, imagine this is a public announcement, new religion, new beliefs, new ideas, imagine that silence and everyone's waiting, what's the next move? Those big crowds in Masjid al-Haram, are they going to accept his message? Are they going to reject him? Is anyone going to stand up to the Prophet? Who stood up to the Prophet? Abu Lahab. The very uncle of the Prophet. He stood up to the Prophet in front of everyone and he told him, is this why you gathered us? And he slandered the Prophet and everyone left the scene. When your own relative stands up, embarrasses you, disqualifies you, can you just imagine what happened to the Prophet ﷺ? Had it been someone else, okay you could handle it but when it's your own uncle, what kind of damage does that to you? You know imagine if you're trying to make a point to other people and then your own brother interrupts you and embarrasses you. Some, some of us may have been in similar situations, right, it's very painful. We, we have to appreciate the pain the Prophet sallallahu went through. Immense pain. You're standing, everyone's anxious to hear this message, and then your own uncle gets up and disqualifies you. Very big test. So he attacks the Prophet, and then he said, تَبَّن لِهَذَا Deen. The word tab in Arabic means uh, like when you wish death for someone, destruction, destruction to this deen, destruction to your hands, O Muhammad for saying this. After that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed surat Lahab. Tabbat yada Abi Lahab. Allah defended the Prophet. You say destruction to Islam and Muhammad? No, destruction to your hands, O Abu Lahab. Tabbat yada Abi Lahab bin Watab. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala rebuked what Abu Lahab did and Allah promised that he would torture him in hell for his corruption and for him standing in the way of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alayhi and he said that a number of times, remember the hadith of Dar when the Prophet sallallahu alayhi gathered his family members, the, first, the only one to object to him was Abu Lahab, he objected to him, he called this magic, he said tabbat yadak very very corrupt, this uncle of the Prophet and the Prophet really you know struggled a lot because of the stance of his Prophet, now one thing that infuriated Quraysh, okay yes the day of judgment we don't really believe in it, how can these bones come back to life, okay believing in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they already kind of did have some belief in God, what really infuriated them, was that the Prophet rejected their idols, remember they worshipped those idols, 360 idols were mounted on the Kaaba, each tribe had their own dedicated idol, so the Prophet came and he rejected those idols, he condemned them, what is this? This is idol worshipping, they went furious, you're going against our own idols, this is an insult to our religion, to our forefathers, because you're essentially saying that our forefathers were wrong and you're condemning our idols, they could not take that, but what the Prophet sallallahu was teaching them is that by assigning idols and worshipping them, this is an insult to God, it's an insult to Allah when you worship Him alongside idols, stones, dates, you're insulting your own intellect, you the human being, you're greater than the idol that you're worshipping. You know those Arabs, some of the idols they'd make, they make them from dates. And then they used to eat them when, when at, in times of, uh, you know, drought. So they wouldn't starve, they'd eat them. They'd make their own God and then eat their own God and then go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's an insult to human intellect. The Prophet was telling them, stop insulting your intellect you're greater than the idol that you worship, what's the matter with you? You know one difference between those who worship Prophet Isa alayhi salam and those who worship the idols, of course it's shirk to worship Prophet Isa alayhi salam, but Islam considers them people of the book, right? They're not, we don't classify them with the Mushrikeen, because see at least worshipping someone like Isa, even though it's wrong at least there's a perspective to it Isa used to do miracles, he would revive the dead, cure the blind okay you could see how someone would worship someone like that right, it's wrong but you could see how someone would do that because Isa had powers we don't have and that could make some people who are ignorant think okay he's divine but a stone for God's sake, a stone that can't move, can't help itself, how could you worship that? That's the the worst type of belief, shirk is the worst type of belief but they didn't like that, they didn't like the fact that the Prophet was denouncing their idols and so they tried to attack the Prophet they tried to hurt him but Abu Talib would defend the Prophet, he was a pillar of support, no one dared to come and physically hurt the Prophet when Abu Talib his uncle, the father of Imam Ali ibn Abi Talib would uh, stand up to them, he would threaten anyone who would come to you know threaten the Prophet, he was well respected by Quraysh, so when Quraysh realized that the Prophet is not backing down, he's not budging they realized okay, let's try to negotiate, we can't do anything about Muhammad, he's not backing down, we threatened him, we mocked him, we called him insane, nothing's working, the guy's not stopping, let's negotiate, so there were many many ways in which they came to negotiate uh, to convince the Prophet ﷺ to stop his message, a group of high-ranking, members of Quraysh they visit Abu Talib and you know they complain to him he's rejecting our faith, he's rejecting our idols, he's considering worshiping idols deviant, either stop him or let us deal with him, hand him over, let us deal with him. Abu Talib with his gentle approach but firmness he you know basically dismissed them so that initiative to negotiate failed. They came up with another way to negotiate. They brought a young man by the name of Amara or Amara ibn Walid, Khalid ibn Walid, his brother. They brought the brother of Khalid ibn Walid. Now, Walid was a high ranking member of Quraysh. They brought his son. They told him, oh, oh, Abu Talib, let's bargain with you. We'll give you our son, Amara ibn Walid. You take care of him, do whatever you want with him hand over Muhammad, let's switch, take Amara and give us Muhammad. Sometimes some crazy Arab tribes would do something like that, they would switch sons and you know, here take my son, he's part of your tribe, give me your son. So they told Abu Talib, take Amara, he'll be your son, give us Muhammad. Abu Talib became furious, he told them, shame on you, you expect me to take your son, feed your son, raise your son and in return I give you Muhammad for you to kill him? Never, I will never negotiate, they tried but it failed. A third time they came to Abu Talib, they insist on him, just go to him, just tell him we've got an offer to make, maybe he'll accept our offer. The Prophet sallallahu gives him a very powerful response, Abu Talib comes to the Prophet, he tells him, oh my nephew, they're trying to bargain with you, what should I tell them? He tells him, "Yaam, Am, my dear uncle, if they put the sun in my right hand and the moon in my left hand at the expense of renouncing this mission, giving up my mission, I will never do so unless I die conveying it or I see that it prevails. This is an Arabic expression, meaning if they give me the whole universe in my hands, I'm not going to stop. Make it clear to them, there's no room for negotiation. I'm sent by God. This is not something in my own hands. This is the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Talib then in that case told him, okay, well you have my full support. Muhammad, do whatever you please and you have my full support. So this hadith is uh, narrated by Ibn Hisham, you know that the Prophet said if you put the sun in my right hand and the moon in my left hand, but they still continued to bargain with him, they just wanted a way out, just to stop this Prophet, nothing worked. Ibn Ishaq narrates that once Utbah ibn Rabi'ah, a high-ranking member of Quraysh, he was you know sitting amongst the members of Quraysh, you know they had a group of people, they would usually sit and chat, so they mentioned the Prophet sallallahu alaihi the Prophet was sitting by himself in Masjid al-Haram, so Utbah, he tells the Meccans, should I go and talk to the Prophet? Maybe I can ask him to stop his mission, maybe I can convince him, maybe I'll entice him, I'll give him an offer that he cannot reject, He told him, okay go try, now the hadith says Hamza the uncle of the Prophet had just become Muslim, we'll talk about that soon, when Hamza became Muslim he demoralized Quraysh, it was a very big step in supporting Islam because Hamza was very well respected, he was the most respected youth, you know youth I mean in, in, in his 40s at that time, not he wasn't an old man, And even from when the time when he was a youth, he was known for his courage and bravery. So that really changed the equation. Quraysh is like, look, let's try our best to negotiate because Hamza became Muslim, some others are becoming Muslim, we're losing this, he's winning. So he comes to the Prophet ﷺ and, you know, he tells the Prophet ﷺ, my nephew, he respects him, my dear nephew, You know how much we respect your family, your ancestors, and we don't want any trouble in society. Because of your new religion, you've caused division in our society, you're changing our ways, you're condemning our idols, essentially you're telling us that our forefathers were wrong, and we can't accept that. So I have an offer to make. Are you willing to listen to me? The Prophet ﷺ said, okay, I'm listening, say what you have to say. He told him, look you're poor obviously, you're very poor, you don't have much, we'll gather all of our wealth and we'll give it to you, we'll make you the wealthiest man in Mecca, the Prophet is listening, the Prophet did not say anything, then he tells him look if you want status, we'll make you our master, any decision we Arabs want to make we'll consult you, you make the final decision, you'll be our political leader in society, like our president, if you want a kingdom, we'll make Mecca into a kingdom and you're the king, you'll be the king and we'll listen to you, just stop preaching this message, quit this message, we'll make you a king if you want to be a king, then he says something painful to the Prophet and he tells the Prophet, you claim that you see visions, you have visions, like they had heard that he sees the angel, right? He's like and if you're bothered by these visions because you're hallucinating, then we'll spend our efforts to bring you the finest doctor, who's going to treat you, so you'll stop stop having these hallucinations, whatever you want, just tell us. Some hadiths mentioned he offered women to the Prophet, he told him, if you want women, we'll select our most beautiful women in society. They're all yours. Just stop. Stop this mission. The Prophet is lowering his head, he's listening to him. Then he told him, Okay, I've heard your offer. Now do you want to hear my reply? He said, Yes. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals these verses to him. Bismillahir Rahman al Rahim. Rahman تَنزِيلٌ مِنَ الرَّحْمَانِ الرَّحِيمِ سُرَةْ فُصِّلَةْ كِتَابٌ فُصِّلَةْ آيَاتُهُ قُرْآنًا عَرَبِيًّا لِقَوْمٍ يَعْلَمُونَ أو يعقلون. He reads Surat Fusslat, now this guy Utba, he really hadn't heard the Qur'an directly from the Prophet, he hears the verses, the Prophet continues, powerful verses, spoken from the holy mouth of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi When Utbah hears these words, he's mesmerized, he's hearing, he's hearing, he's hearing and the Prophet does give him his answer in those verses that this is the word of God, I'm not backing out. The Prophet finishes the verses, there's a sajda in Surat Fussalat, a wajib sajda, the Prophet gets to the sajda, he does the sujood, at that point Utbe goes back but he's dumbfounded, he's silent, speechless so he goes back to his group of people who were looking anxiously about uh, you know looking at the scene, he told him Utbe what's the matter with you, what happened to you, I, we thought you're so brave and you went you had a nice offer and Muhammad read a few verses and he shut you up and that's it, you have no counter-argument, nothing to tell him? What's the matter with you? Why are you silent? He told them, I swear by God, I've never heard words like that in my life. This is not the word of a man. This is not poetry. We accuse him of magic. Wallah, this is not magic. I don't know how to describe this. This is something beyond me. He was just dumbfounded and he didn't know what to do. He's not a sorcerer, he's not a kahin, he's not a sha'ir, he's not a sahir. Let me give you advice. I'm wise and you accept my wisdom. let leave this man alone. The words that I heard from him today, this man will achieve victory. This is not a normal man. This is not a normal message. Accept my advice, do not fight him. Leave him alone. You don't want to believe him? Fine, leave him alone. Don't fight this man. You will regret it, this is what I have to say and you've got nothing to lose, eventually he's going to grow in power, other Arab tribes are going to naturally fight him, if they fought him and they killed him, you're out of it and if he gained victory, you'll benefit, Mecca will be the hub of the Islamic government, right? So I don't see any reason why we should fight this man, these are not his words but of course unfortunately those arrogant Meccans did not accept the advice of Utbah, they still tried to negotiate with the Prophet sallallahu so this time they come to him, they challenge him, oh Muhammad if you're really a messenger from God then turn Mecca into a paradise, yalla let's see your mu'ajizah, let's see your miracles, turn Mecca into a paradise full of money with flowing rivers, just like Iraq and Syria have rivers, we want rivers here, We want to see that in order for us to believe, make us super, super rich. Look at yourself, you're so poor, make yourself poor at least. At least we can follow you if you're a king, if you're rich, maybe we could follow you. But in your poor state like that, come on, we can't follow you like that. We just can't. Arrogance, right? We can't. At least make yourself look like a king, maybe then we'll follow you. Or revive our grandfathers, if you have special powers, revive them. Um, revive specifically Qusay ibn Kilab, he was known to be a wise person from the Arabs who had passed away, he was known for being truthful, we'll ask him that you have a message, if he tells us, you know follow, we'll follow. So they came up with this offer to the Prophet. Another man comes to him, he was a cousin of the Prophet, his name was Abdullah ibn Abi Umayyah, he comes with this crazy idea, he tells him look if you're really a Prophet, Bring a ladder, a divine, I don't know, powerful ladder and go into this heavens, go into the sky and I want to see that and when you come down bring four angels with you, I want to see those four angels, then I'll believe in you. But then he says, and even if you do that, I'm still not going to believe in you. <laughs> Allah mentions this in the Quran, I'll read those verses. Crazy, crazy people. Then they told him, okay, You've been warning us about the punishment of the day of judgment, right? If we don't believe God is going to punish us, yalla, bring on the punishment here, why wait till the day of judgment? If you're really truthful, ask God right now to send down the punishment from this guy, let's see it, then we'll see if you're truthful or not. The Prophet would patiently listen to these silly crazy suggestions and then he told them, look I haven't been sent to do what you're asking me, I've been sent as a messenger, to warn you, to teach you—that's it. If you accept, you'll be successful in both worlds. If not, you'll perish. I'm just giving you advice. So Allah Subhanahu wa Taala in Surah Al Israa, verses ninety to ninety-three, he mentions these crazy suggestions. They said, "We shall not believe unless we see that you bring." you you know uh, bring forth a spring from the ground, rivers, we want to see rivers here make this desert landscape of Mecca into gardens, let's see that let the sky fall on us with punishment, bring God, let us see him, let him talk to us, why has he sent you, bring some angels Maybe if we see them, we'll believe in you. And then, you know, they just make these crazy suggestions. Ascend into the skies, let us see that. They made all these crazy suggestions. Now, Subhanallah, the Prophet did have miracles. Even if the Prophet did what they asked. They still reject it. Look at Faraon. I mean, do you want bigger signs than the splitting of the sea? Than the stick turning into a snake? Yet he rejected. Arrogance, subhanallah. Arrogance, stubbornness. How stubborn does this human being become? Where you make crazy suggestions like that. So they tried to negotiate with the Prophet. Nothing worked. But they did not know how to discredit the Prophet. What do we do? they wanted to know more about the Quran without showing their interest, right? because they're denouncing him, you don't want to admit that there's something special about the Quran so they decided, you know what, let's secretly eavesdrop, let's hear what this Quran is about so we know how to disqualify it. So one hadith states that Abu Sufyan, Abu Jahal, and al akhnas three elite members of Quraysh, they randomly went to the Prophet's house at night, They're like let's go and hear what this Quran is because we've heard Muhammad reads the Quran all night long while standing on his feet to the point where his feet would swell so they go, each one goes in a corner in the midst of the night, they're not aware of each other's presence, they happen to go to the Prophet's house, they're standing behind the you know the the house of the Prophet in each direction and they're listening Everyone sleeping at night except Muhammad he's standing on his feet he is reciting the Quran in a sad beautiful voice he's crying out of his love for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they get mesmerized the historical accounts say from the night till dawn they were just there still hearing the words of the holy prophet sallallahu at dawn at daybreak they left as they were leaving, they bumped into each other. Abu Sufyan tells Abu Jahl, hey what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing here? And then they realized, look keep this between us. If our people know we're coming to listen to Muhammad, that's going to encourage them to listen to Muhammad. So act as if this did not happen, like okay, let's not expose each other. The second night they come back again, they were just pulled like a magnet they heard the verses of the Prophet, the third night, after the third night they made a pact, they made each other swear and make an oath, we'll never come back to hear Muhammad because they really figured you know if we keep doing this, others will find out, we'll start believing in him, subhanAllah, look at the stubbornness, they know what he's saying is right but they just you know don't want to accept the truth, so Al-Akhna says I want to see Abu Jahl, I told Abu Jahl, look, what we heard was not normal, you have to admit that, what do you make of it? The words that you heard from Muhammad, what what do you make of them? Look at the words of Abu Jahl, it shows you the root cause why they rejected the Prophet. Abu Jahl said, look, Bani Hashim have high status, Bani Hashim always used to do good, Then we, other tribes, we started learning from them. They started giving charity, we started giving charity. You know, they had a position, we tried to compete with them. Until we became equals. Now they're high ranking, we're high ranking. Suddenly, out of the blue, they've got someone who's a prophet, who's receiving revelation. Where the hell am I going to get revelation from? How am I going to compete with that? Jealousy, now Benny Hashem have a virtue I can't match. Where am I going to bring a 40 year old man like him who can say what he says and who can receive revelation? Everything else we competed with Benny Hashem. we did. We're at par with them. This I can't compete. So I have no choice but to disqualify him. Jealousy. Subhanallah, the reason why Quraysh rejected the Prophet, jealousy, why him? Why did God choose him to be his messenger? Why not me? Why not my tribe? And the same exact reason why Muslims rejected who after the Prophet? Imam Ali ibn Abi. Allahu Akbar what this jealousy does. Allahu Akbar. The hadith says, Al-Hasad yakulul iman, have you seen dry wood, how the fire devours it, consumes it? The hadith says, Jealousy eats your faith like fire eats wood. Allahu Akbar. And that's true. And we've seen many, many people in society, brothers and sisters, who ruined their faith because of jealousy. With family members, relatives, community members. We need to be careful. Allah does test us with jealousy. So they, they rejected, they rejected the words of the Prophet sallallahu Now Walid ibn Mughira, he was Khalid's father, Khalid ibn al-Walid, right? He also heard the words of the Prophet sallallahu You know once he came to the Prophet, the Prophet read a few verses of the Quran, the verses of the Quran moved his heart, he was touched by them but he was confused, what do I do? So he hurriedly went back to his people, he told them he met with some leaders of Quraysh, he's like look this guy's words they're just not, they're not normal, they're not the words of a human being and then he gives beautiful descriptions of the Qur'an, he tells them look I am the most eloquent man in Arabia, he was known for his eloquence, no one pass, you know can surpass me when it comes to eloquence but I swear by God, there is this sweetness about his words. It's polished, it's impeccable. وَإِنَّ Beautiful eloquent words in de- describing the Holy Quran. You look at the words of the Prophet from every direction you look at them. If you look at them you know, from above, they're like a fruitful tree. They give you fruits, they give you something. The verses of the Quran, they supersede everything. Nothing can match these words. If you want to compare anything to the Quran, it destroys everything else. I can't say he's a poet because his people told him, Oh, you know, uh, Waleed, you're our leader, you're eloquent. So come out. In public and discredit Muhammad and say, Oh, this is just poetry. People will trust you because you're a famous poet. You're very eloquent. He said, I can't, I can't. It doesn't make sense. This is not poetry. For me to say that, you know, he's a, 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 a poet, I can't say that. So he started to think and think and think. The Quran mentions this. The Qur'an mentions his evil mind even though he knew this was the truth, look at his descriptions, but he thought and thought, how should I disqualify? How should I disqualify? Until he thought, this is pure sorcery, this is magic, that's what I'm going to tell the people, so he made an announcement, oh people, you hear the words of Muhammad right, it pulls you, right? Yes exactly, it attracts you, right? They didn't know where he was going with this, they're like yes exactly, so is he right? No, this is all magic and that's the effect of magic, people believed him and he really did damage to the uh, you know, da'wah of the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi Now Abu Talib realizes that things are becoming more and more intense he gathers the Bani Hashim and he makes an oath with them, look, we have to defend Prophet Muhammad sallallahu even if you don't believe in his message, we have to defend him, you know he's truthful, you know he's truthful, he's not lying. So all members of Bani Hashim, the immediate relatives of the Prophet, they promised to defend him, we won't allow anyone to come and hurt him, except Abu Lahab, he said no, I don't accept his message and I'm going to fight him. So Quraysh at this point, they realized that we're not prepared for an armed resistance against the Prophet because Bani Hashim are still strong, they have alliances with other Arab tribes, we don't want this an all-out war. So the best thing is to, you know, uh, keep our campaign of brainwashing people, of ruining the reputation of the Holy Prophet wasallam. So they start to boycott the Prophet. They started a movement of boycotting the Prophet and the Muslims. The Quran mentions this in verse 26. Verse, uh, in verse 26 of Surah Al-Anam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, anhu an. They used to prohibit people from seeing the Prophet. Any newcomer who wanted to see the Prophet, oh no, no, no. Don't go, you'll regret it. He's a magician, he's going to play with your mind. So they wanted to boycott the Prophet ﷺ. So they continued their campaign of mocking him, of discouraging people from following him. When the opportunity would arise, they would also physically try to harm the Prophet. Not like with a weapon where they wanted to kill him, but they tried to physically harass him. So we have a number of historical accounts that say the Prophet would come into Masjid al-Haram now remember at the time Qibla was towards Jerusalem so he would stand at the southern corner of the Kaaba so he has the Kaaba in front of him towards north when he would pray they would take the intestines of animals of like the camel like like just a, a camel that was recently slaughtered with all the blood and the guts they would take that and they would wipe it all over the body of the prophet staining his clothes staining his shoulders very painful and everyone's watching the prophet would not lift a finger where was imam ali, imam ali alayhi salam was there but he was instructed by the prophet not to fight why because it would have gotten out of control and then the people would have accused muhammad oh this guy's violent and he's trying to fight us, it would hurt the Prophet's message at that point. So it was a very painful scene, inshallah later we'll examine after Fatima was born, this is a common scene that she would see, she would come to Masjid al-Haram and she would see her Prophet in that state and she would cry, when he would go back home she would wipe the dust and the blood from his you know forehead, from his face, from his shoulders and, and she would cry, seeing what would happen to her, prof, to her father, so this was a common scene that would happen in Masjid Al-Haram, one day Abu Talib walks in, now Abu Talib when he was present no one dared to do that, one day Abu Talib walks into Masjid Al-Haram, he sees the Prophet stained with all these guts and intestines of the animal, he becomes furious, he stands, who did this? They were cowards, they chickened out, no one came and said I did it, they remained silent. So he went, he picked up those intestines, he passed by those leaders of Quraysh. Remember these are high-ranking Meccans and he took the intestines and he applied it to their mustaches. Now in Arab culture, when you touch a man's mustache like that, that's the worst insult you can give him, right? (laughs) So he did that. And he told them, this is the last time you do this. Next time, I'm going to take action. So he did that. He humiliated them one by one. Not one of them dared to lift a finger against Abu Talib. He really supported the Prophet sallallahu Once Abu Jahl, this evil man whom the Prophet sallallahu called the Fir'aun of this you know, nation, very, very evil. He made an oath. He got so angry, he made an oath. He said, next time Muhammad comes, I'm going to carry this heavy rock which I can barely lift and I'm going to smash his head and get this over with. So the Prophet ﷺ comes into Masjid al Haram. When the Prophet goes into sujood, his plan was to take the rock and smash the Prophet's head with it. As he was lifting the rock and going, and everyone's anxiously waiting, The evil one are very happy, great, he's going to wound the Prophet, possibly kill him. As he's going, he shakes, he stops, he comes back. They told him, Abu Jahl, you chickened out? What's what's the matter? You were so brave and you made an oath, I'm going to settle this once and for all? What happened with you? He told them, I saw a vision, never in my life had I seen it. They told him, what did you see? He saw. I don't know. Am I going mad? I don't know what happened. I saw, as I was approaching Muhammad, I saw a camel out of nowhere about to eat me. So I, I got scared and I came back. Later, the Prophet sallallahu alaihi was told about this. The Prophet told them, "Do you know what that was?" They told him what. He told him that was Jibrail frightening him, because he wanted to kill me. So, Allah subhanahu wa taala did protect the Holy Prophet sallallahu on a number of occasions, they really did you know try to uh, kill the Prophet. Finally, let's examine the Islam of Hamza, the uncle of the Prophet sallallahu Hamza was not too much older than the Prophet, some say two years, some say four years, some say six years, he was you know pretty much in the age group of the Prophet sallallahu Now, we don't exactly know when Hamza became Muslim, there is some discrepancy in the historical accounts, some say you know two three years after uh, the announcement of the Prophet, some say at the sixth year of Hijrah, uh, not Hijrah, Afwan, the sixth year after revelation, uh, he became Muslim, so basically what happened is one day Abu Jahl, this evil man, he passes by the Prophet And he slanders him with every filthy word you can think of. Hamza was known for hunting. He was very brave. He was well respected by Quraysh. At that point, Hamza had not declared his Islam. He had believed like in the core message of the Prophet, but he had not made it public yet. So Hamza comes back from his hunting trip. Now he had a habit. Whenever he'd come back from hunting, before going to his house and meeting his family, he would come and do the tawaf around the Kaaba to thank Allah for giving him sustenance. As he's coming to Masjid Al-Haram to do the tawaf, there was a woman who heard what Abu Jahl said to the Prophet in front of everyone. She told him, oh Hamza, do you know what happened to your nephew today? He says, what? He's like, you weren't here to hear what Abu Jahl said to him. And she tells him what Abu Jahl said to him. Hamza becomes furious. He comes to Masjid Al-Halam. Where is Abu Jahl? Abu Jahl starts shaking. He was a coward. Hamza comes up to him. And when he sees him, some narrations say he slapped him. Some say with his bow, he struck his head, he wounded him. He struck him. How dare you mention my nephew like that? I believe in what he says, so Hamza reveals that he had believed in the message of the Prophet. Now some people wanted to get up and defend Abu Jahl from his tribe, Abu Jahl told them look basically I deserve it, what I said to Muhammad was filthy and I guess I get you know I I got what I asked for, so he orders you know his people not to fight uh, Hamza for doing that, he just accepts the humiliation Hamza, because he gets so angry, he decides to go public, he says you know what, I believe in his message, I'm a Muslim and no one should dare to attack him, if you attack him, I'm going to kill you. That was a big support for the Muslims, the Prophet was so relieved when he heard Hamza, his uncle, believed in his message and that was truly amazing that you know, Hamza in those sensitive moments, in that sensitive time he supported the Prophet sallallahu this boosted the morale of those early Muslims and that was a big big victory for the Muslims and Hamza as we know you know is the line of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he is that Shaheed who would later become Shaheed at the Battle of Uhud but these pagans, nothing would stop them, I'll end with this final point, They still wanted to test whether Muhammad was saying the truth or not so they're like look send a group of people to Medina there are Jews over there they have the holy scriptures ask them about Muhammad I mean if this guy is really a prophet these guys should know because they're familiar with how prophethood works they're familiar with divine messages so they send a group of people Meccans to Medina they meet a group of rabbis and Jewish scholars, they ask the rabbis, we've got a man who's claiming he's a prophet, how should we treat this? How do we know if he's a prophet? They tell them, ask him three questions, if he answered correctly, he's a prophet, if he didn't, kill him, get rid of him, he's lying. What's the three questions? The first one, ask him about a group of youth Who got lost in a cave. What's their story? Number two, ask him about a man whom God gave a vast kingdom and power and he would build dams. Who is he? And number three, ask him about the ruh, the soul. What's the soul? If he gave you the answer to the first two questions and the third question he didn't answer it, he's a prophet. This is written in our scriptures, they come back happy, Ah, we've got a perfect way to discredit the Prophet, we have tough, tough questions, he doesn't know how to answer. They come to the Prophet, oh Muhammad, you're truthful, let's test you. Tell us about a group of youth who got lost in a cave, who were they? And who's that man whom God gave power and kingdom and he went from east to west? And what is the ruh, what is the soul? The Prophet told them, come tomorrow, I'll give you the answer. They're like, okay. The next day, the Prophet is waiting for the wahi, because he never spoke from himself. He's waiting for revelation to come. Revelation does not come. No answer. The Prophet has not come with an answer. Two days, three days, four days. Some hadith state 15 days pass by. Nothing people are anxious, what's going on? He said, I'll have an answer for you. Some of them are like, see, he doesn't have an answer. Those early Muslims, some of them with a weak heart, they were shaken. What's going on? This is a messenger of God. Some hadith say this lasted 40 days. At the end of 40 days, Jibrail came. Now, how can we look at this? The Prophet sallallahu according to these sources, he asked Jibra'eel, Jibra'eel, my brother Jibrail, what happened to you? Where are you? I've been waiting for the answer. He gives him a verse in Surah Al-Kahf. li inni illa an O Muhammad, when you said, I'll bring the answer tomorrow, you did not say, inshaAllah, by the will of God. And Allah withdrew me from coming to you you have to say by the will of God, I'll I'll comment on that, the Prophet tells according to for example Ibn Ishaq and his Sirah, he says the Prophet you know told Jibreel look, I started having bad doubts when you stopped coming, what happened? This is not acceptable, the Prophet does not have bad doubts, these are weak hadiths you know, However there's a verse like that and we do have verses that we do have hadith that state revelation was delayed. Now why? Most Muslims believe it's because the prophet made a mistake, he did not say inshallah, by the will of God. So Allah Subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to teach him a lesson that everything whenever you promise something, don't say it certainly. Say it with the permission of God. Allah was teaching him a lesson and that's why the correct view of our scholars, it wasn't that the Prophet made a mistake, this was a plan by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to demonstrate to Muslims and everyone the importance of saying inshallah. that even wahi revelation which is so sensitive when you need it the most to give the answers, if you don't say inshaAllah it'll be withdrawn from you So it was a practical example by the Prophet that look if you don't say inshallah, even Jibreel is not going to come, so Muslims always say it, always remember that everything is by the will of God, don't think, don't plan for your future and think you're so powerful you can do anything you want, no, have tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, so it's not that the Prophet really made a mistake, but Allah Subhanahu wa Ta-A'la wanted to practically demonstrate to the people because look you can tell people all you want say inshallah it's not that effective but when they see Jibra'il did not come 15 or 40 days they'll never forget that it's powerful it's a practical example so are you saying the, the prophet planned so according to our scholars yes he was informed by Allah that this would happen so it's not that he did a mistake yes it's like he was instructed by God. That's one way of looking at make it. A anyway he's Masum, so I mean. Yeah, he did not make a mistake. Yeah. Definitely was yeah. not a mistake. So is this also Surah. the timing of Surah Al Duha? Surah Duha? In what sense? Uh-huh. No. 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 Why? What would I have to do with Surah Al Duha? There's also a, su- a sort of a similar backstory to this that Rasulullah he became. Um, uh, that wahi coming to oh yes, we talked about that, we talked about Surah Al-Duha where you know yeah there are some who claim the Wahis after the first time the Prophet met Jibra'il and the cave of Hira, we examined what happened you know some say Surah Al-Duha came and the Prophet thought Allah was abandoning him, no no that's that happened much much earlier, this happened actually later, That's Surah Al-A'la, yes. مَا وَدَّعَكَ رَبُّكَ وَمَا So in any case, you know this was a very good example of always having tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and you know unfortunately in our common language we use inshaAllah but we don't use it properly, oftentimes if you want to get rid of someone you want to say no, politely you say inshaAllah, right? Yeah or like parents when your kids want something from you, Inshallah, Inshallah Baba, Inshallah, that, that's, that's not respecting Inshallah, Inshallah, exactly, exactly, sometimes you'll see a child, no no don't say, that means no, see we have to treat this word with respect, with dignity, with honor, it's sacred, truly mean it, now when you want to get rid of someone or you want to say no politely say Inshallah, Inshallah, don't take this word lightly, truly have tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In any case, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals the verses of Surah Al-Kahf, as for the first question, Allah reveals the Surah of Kahf, Allah tells us exactly what happened to those people, Allah mentions their story of those youth who got lost in the cave and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in Surah Al-Kahf also mentions the story of Dhul Qarnayn, that king you know, uh, some say it was Alexander the Great, some say it was Cyrus, there are some uh, possibilities here, anyway Dhul Qarnayn was a man who was given powers and kingdom, Allah talks about his story in the Quran and the third question يسألونك عن الروح. they ask you about the ruh الروح من أمر ربي. say the ruh is from my Lord, from the affairs of my Lord, don't get into it he gave them these three answers they realized no he's really a prophet just as those Jewish rabbis told us, he gave us the answer and still they rejected.